Okay, the big announcement is this, and I hope you understand the significance of this, but before I say it, let me say this. Um, in the Bible, Jesus uses the example of the shepherd being the uh, shepherd of the church or the, or, or the shepherd of the flock. Is anybody a shepherd here? No. Anybody have sheep here? No, not, not a lot. There might be, maybe somebody has sheep, but I don't know a lot about shepherding. I don't know anything about sheep. Um, so I have a hard time kind of associating with that, with that description. So what I really see the church leader today as, rather than being a shepherd, I kind of look at the church pastor or the lead pastor as a varsity basketball coach. Varsity basketball coach. Anybody know what a coach does? All right, let me explain what a varsity basketball coach does. He is responsible for the varsity basketball team. But more important than that, if he wants to have a good varsity basketball team year after year after year, what does he have to do? He has to start at the lower levels of grade school to, to start developing the players if he's going to have a team year after year. He may get lucky with a certain set of kids that come through that might be really talented. But if he's not developing younger people, he has no future as a program. So the varsity basketball coach is responsible for basketball beginning in the grade school. And he has coaches in the 7th grade and the 8th grade. In fact, before that, he goes to Saturday morning clinics. And he's bringing the 1st through 5th graders in, and he's having basketball clinics and the, at the, and Saturday mornings. And he's learning, teaching them fundamentals. He's teaching them how to, how to dribble, how to how to use both hands, how to all of the fundamentals of basketball. And then he gets into, or actually they were on a team, and they start developing strategies, and they start having fundamental um, ideas about how to play together. Well, that happens in the grade, that happens in the middle school levels, in 7th and 8th grade. And he has 7th grade coaches, 8th grade coaches, and then he gets into high school, and he has freshman coaches, and he has JV coaches. And then finally, by the time they get to varsity, they've been playing basketball according to his strategy, according to his program, for 10 or 12 years. So by the time they're juniors and seniors, they're a good team. They play together. They understand the strategy. I understand that a lot better than shepherding. So therefore, I consider myself a varsity a basketball coach. I almost said volleyball, Jenna. A varsity basketball coach. And a coach's role, too, is not to make everybody point guards. He's to take everybody's position to where they're at and to make them the best they can be in the position that they're at, meaning that he requires them to work. And he requires them to be at practice. And he requires them to have a good diet. And he requires them to get to, good, get to bed at a decent time and to have good rest. And all of the stuff that makes up a good, healthy person is what he requires from his team. And he wants them all to be the best at what they're at. What we're doing in our church is very similar to that right now. We have, we have a new, I believe a God is giving us a new vision or a new, not a mission. We have our mission statement. And our mission statement is to be earthly relevant or heavily effective through earthly relevance. Okay, that's the mission statement. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that by reaching all levels of the family. We're not going to do it just by having Sunday morning church for us older generation. Because if we were just the older generation, there is no future. If all we had were people 40 and up, and there was no younger generation, there would be no longer a church here very long, would there be? Once we start having funerals, 
It's just a matter of the beginning. It's the beginning of the end. So, so what we're doing is that we have brought on Riley and Stephanie to um, be our senior youth leaders. But something that's new we've never done before in this church that I think is going to be very, very important is that we're bringing on a middle school youth leader. A middle school youth leader from ages 5th through 8th. And he's going to be responsible for building our middle school program here, totally independent of the senior youth. That doesn't mean they're not going to work together. That doesn't mean that at all. But the needs between a 5th through 8th graders are different than a ninth through 12th graders. And if we, by bringing them together, we're not building them. We're just kind of confusing everybody. So we've, we have, we've, prayed, we've been praying over this, and we believe the Lord has sent us a leader. And he's here today. And we want to, we want to introduce today Drew Oliver. Come on up, Drew. Drew's going to be... Amen. Drew's going to be our, our middle school youth leader. And we're giving him a lot of reins and a lot of authority here because he is responsible for building the, the program or building the ministry of youth leadership between the, in the middle school uh, ages. That means he's going to be going to the schools for lunch. He's going to be there for some recesses. Whenever he can, Drew's in a relatively flexible position because he's a caregiver, which is a gift in itself that he can do that kind of a thing. And Drew's got a heart for, heart for kids. He loves them, and I know he'll do a really good job. And uh, so he's going to be doing that. In addition to that, my wife and, and Angie have um, agreed to um, put together a children's church, a junior church, that will happen uh, at the end of worship. The kids from uh, kindergarten through uh, fourth grade, or fifth grade probably is in that range, will be able to be released and not have to listen to me. And probably that will be a good thing. Um, and they're going to go and they're going to do a junior church. So really the vision that we have for this is that we're going to be a full family ministry center. That we're going to, we have the nursery that will go from birth to uh, four or five years old, maybe, in that range. And then we're going to have the junior church that's going to be picking up. And then we're going to go into the Drew's 8th um, grade, 7th and 8th grade program, the middle school program. And then they're going to go to Riley. And then we're, we, are, we will also establish the postgraduate um, group as well at some point in time when we can find that leader that's going to step up. And my job then is just to coordinate it all. And we're going to be wondering under, under a, uh, a coordinated strategy, and we're just going to let the Holy Spirit lead our church, and we're going to be a beacon in this community that we've never been before because we're going to be able to focus on the entire family. So what this means then, after spring break, we'll have the junior church up and running. Is that correct, ladies? So now is the time to start talking to your friends that have families. Bring them in, let them know what's going on, and let's minister to the entire family in our church. And then we can, we can reach them. If we can reach them between that, that age from uh, 5 to 10 years old, statistics say that's the area that, you get you, that you're grounded in your faith. And if you can get them that age and then grow them in, that's the way to build a church. If we wait till they're seniors in high school or adults... We're missing the game. And that's where the enemy focuses our attention because he wants us to stay ineffective. And we're ineffective if we minister just to the older people, us. We need to get to those younger generations. Stand with me if you would. Can I have um, the board? And any of the, anyone that would like to come up and pray with me. We want to pray over Drew. And we want to we commission him. And we want to commission this new ministry so that it will be powerful and effective for your kids and for this community. Uh, amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to anoint him with oil, and let's just uh, pray the power of God over him.
and uh, that this would be a full functioning program and the Holy Spirit would have its way in this thing in Jesus' name. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Father, we just come before you and we just commission Drew Oliver right now in the name of Jesus to be the youth leader of our middle school group in this church. Lord, in this community, Lord, that it would build up the families. Lord, that families would be drawn in here that do not have a church affiliation, and they would come in here because they, need, they know their kids need to be discipled. But, Lord, I pray that you would just give us the ability and give Drew the ideas, give him the inspiration, Father. Just give him your understanding. Lord, give him a maturity beyond his years and give him energy, Father. Energy, 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 Lord, to reach those youth and to go out and meet them at their levels, right where they're at. Give them a love for him, for them, and a compassion. Lord, and just um, give him the spiritual gifts, Lord, that he needs to have to minister in this area and we just ask for that and we just commission them now in the name of Jesus amen, amen. hallelujah thank you father amen, amen. welcome Drew Congratulations. this morning I would like to speak regarding the power that we have in peace the power that we, that we find, the power that we have in the process of pursuing peace. And I know that doesn't seem like there's power in peace. Those seems like two words that don't go together, power and peace. But when we have a peaceful nature or a peaceful attitude, there's a lot of power there. And we want to talk about that today. Peace is something that we all want in our lives. We all long for peace. I don't know anyone here that would say that I would rather have turmoil in my life than peace. We all long for it. It's just in our nature to want to have a peaceful environment. Nobody likes stress, stress and strife and turmoil. We all want to have peace. It's an evasive quality of life that we all long for, and as a result, we're all searching for it. We're all searching for that ever-evasive sense of peace in our spirit. The question I have for you today is, where are you looking for it? Where are you looking for peace? It reminds me of the old country song that says, looking for love in all the wrong places. Sing it, Carrie. Come on. <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. I'll be singing it for you. Good. But let me ask you, are you looking for peace in all the wrong places? Are you looking for peace in all the wrong places? Peace is there. We just have to find it. And peace ranges from the very inner personal peace that we all have with just being ourself all the way up to world peace that is so often and so much talked about in our media today. World peace. Everybody wants peace. But we have peace within ourselves from within our relationships with our spouses and our children and to our family and extended family. We want peace with God. We want peace in our church. We want peace in our communities. We want peace in our local and federal governments. We want peace between countries. And ultimately, we want world peace. There's a lot to be said about peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, no law. Peace has many definitions. It's freedom from war. It's tranquility. It's mental calmness. It's harmony. It's law and order. Basically, peaceful living is a state that we all long for. It's a very comfortable place to be. 
I want to speak today in four different areas of peace. Those that seek to live in peace, number one, will have peace in the storms. Number two, they have a future. People that seek peace live obedient to the rules. And finally, people that seek peace live with contentment in their life. Now, there's a lot of things that, in this life that we don't know or aren't sure of. Let me tell you some things that you can count on. You will have problems in this life. You will have storms in this life. You will have hard times that are really, really difficult to deal with in this life. And you will have questions that you won't be able to find answers to in this life. Is that what you wanted to hear this morning? Can we go home now? Is the message over? <laughs> there, those are the facts of life. I, there's a lot of things I can't tell you about, but those I will tell you, you will have problems in your life. Just be forewarned and know that. And I tell you this today so that you can be prepared for them. I don't tell you this today to bring discouragement or to bring strife and added stress to you. That's not, you don't need that. I don't need that. I have enough already, and you do too. I tell you that because that's the truth of God's Word. God's Word tells us we're going to have problems. That we're going to have problems in your job. You might even lose a job. You're going to have stresses in your family. You're going to have crisis points with your kids. You're going to have sicknesses and accidents of various kinds. You're going to lose family members. People are going to die. You're going to have problems. Just because we're Christians does not exempt us from the problems of this life. I, don't, I want you to know that. Just because we're spirit-filled believers and that we have the power and we work in the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit operating our lives, that doesn't keep trouble and tribulations from our doorstep. They're going to be there. In fact, I'll even go as full, so far to say that the more um, effective you are as a Christian, the more on fire you are for God, the more relevant you are to your society, the more heavenly effective you are, the more problems you're going to have. Because our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is against the spiritual realms. Therefore, if we're effectively working in the spiritual realms, if we're effective there, understand that we're not going to go unnoticed. The ones that go unnoticed are the ones that aren't doing anything for God. The ones that go unnoticed are the ones that aren't pushing through into that kingdom, bringing others out of that kingdom, those are the ones that the devil says, I already got them. I don't really care if they're successful in life. I really don't care if they have riches. I don't really care if they don't have any problems because they're already ineffective. So he'll let those people go on their merry way. He'll, go, he'll let them have all kinds of successes and blessings and things because at the end of the day is what he's concerned about. The devil doesn't really, he's not really concerned about if I don't enjoy this life. What he's concerned about is that I don't enjoy heaven. What he's concerned about is that I don't make heaven. That's what he's after. So I'm not trying to spread anything here to say if you're blessed, you're of the devil. I'm not saying that. And I'm also not saying if you're blessed, you're a really good Christian. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying that we all have, regardless of our financial status and our status in our jobs or in this life, we all have a battle to fight. 
And that battle is against the enemy of our soul, not against people. So understand that and don't be surprised when you find a lot of problems in your life. If you need proof of that, turn in, turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. This is Paul speaking. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times Paul was beaten with a whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concerns for all the churches. Does that sound like a vibrant Christian man? That's the Apostle Paul. That was his life. He was the most influential man probably in our world. He wrote half of the New Testament. And that was his life. So does that mean that Paul was super spiritual? Or does that mean that Paul was a failure? That means that Paul went through a lot of trouble, a lot of tribulation in life. And so we can expect to have somewhat of that ourselves. But what I want to tell you about that in the midst of that, in the midst of that, we can have peace. In the midst of that, we can have understanding that God is for us, that we can have peace. Psalm 138, verses 7 through 8 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against me, against the anger of my foes. And with your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Our God is for us. John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The difference for Christians is not that we won't have problems in this life. No, we're promised to have problems in this life. Right there, we just said you will have problems. But the difference is that the Lord is on our side. And he has overcome the world. Greater is he that is within me than he that's within the world. The Lord is on our side, and he's going to be there for us in the midst of our storms. In the midst of your problems, he will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. He will not leave you on your own. The peace that God gives us are really twofold. One is for our own internal peace, that we can live with each other, or we can live with ourselves without losing our mind that we can get through this thing. And then secondly, I think more importantly, it's for those that when people see us going through difficult times and they see the, the peace of God overflow our life, it becomes a great time to witness because people say, I, I see what you're going through. I don't understand how you're getting through it. I don't see it. What's different about you? That's not the, that's not the time to, uh, to say, well, I don't know. I just get through life. No, that's the time to say that the power of Jesus lives in me. It's the peace of God that lives through me. It's a peace of God that transcends all my understanding. I don't understand it either. I don't understand the questions. I don't understand why these things are happening to me. All I know is that Jesus loves me. And because he loves me, he cares for me. And he has promised to help me get through my problems. 
He never promises them to take me out of the storm. He promises to get us through the storm. The storm's not necessarily going to quit, but we'll get through it by the grace and by the love of Christ. Peace seekers have a future. They have a future. Psalm 34, 12 through 14 says, Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Do you want to have good days in this world? Do you want to have good days in this life? Seek peace and pursue it. Don't do the things that you know are going to cause strife. Don't do that. Why would you want to go down that path of seeking strife in your life? Now, many times we, here in churches, a lot of stuff that cannot be applied in our life. And peace is one of those things. We always understand that peace is coming. Peace is coming. When you go to heaven, it's going to be peaceful in heaven. There's going to be no tears, no problems, no stress in heaven. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you can have peace tomorrow. You can have peace today. You don't have to go to heaven to have peace. This is one of the things that is promised for us today in our life, that we can have peace if you pursue it. If you choose to have it, if you choose to pursue it and chase after it, you can have peace in your life. You don't have to live in the stresses and the turmoil of this life. That doesn't mean your problems are going to go away, but you can have peace in the midst of it. You can pursue it. And I want to give you daily instructions how to do that. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Kind of like we did this morning here. We just were quiet. We need quiet times sometimes. That's peaceful times. We don't need to have all the noise and all the commotion and all the power of Niagara Falls. Sometimes we just need to have a still, small crick. And we just be still before the Lord and we wait patiently. And as we wait patiently for him, he will lift us up as on eagle's wings. And he will give us the peace that we need to have in our life. But we need to be patient. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. But the meek, who will, who will enjoy the peace? But the meek will inherit the land. That's future. The, he, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The peace seekers, people that are seeking peace, have a future. They have a future. And we need to understand that. The future is waiting for those that seek peace. According to Psalm 37, consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. You want a future? Seek peace. Seek peace. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, My son, do not forget my teaching. But keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Who are the peace seekers? Who are they? They're the ones that are living in this community and that they're trying to be good neighbors. They're the ones that see the good in people. They're the ones that are not looking for the stress and the strife. They're the ones that give their employers an honest day's work. And don't steal time or resources from them. 
They're the ones that keep their word and are honest with themselves and other people. They're the ones that treat their families right and attend to their families' needs. Basically, they're the ones that live Monday through Friday the way we teach and talk about on Sunday. You can be a peace seeker if you want to be. How you live. What do you choose to do? It's really in your power to do that. Every, peop- every person at some point in time goes through a crisis point or multiple crisis points that we need to know that rest assured that we have peace. And that peace then in that crisis point will get us through it. Jesus realized that. And when he told his disciples before he was, before he was going to ascend, he told his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, this is a time that you can imagine the stress and the, and the concerns and the fears that the disciples had because Jesus, who had been with them for three years in ministry, was going away. He was their leader. He was, he was the, where they got their strength from. And they thought he was going to be there to set up an earthly kingdom. They thought he was there to establish Jewish rule and he was going to be the king and he was going to set up the kingdom of heaven then on earth. And Jesus says, no, that's not my plan. My plan is I have to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send you a comforter. And that he was leaving, and they didn't understand that. I don't know that I would have understood that. I think I would be very fearful and, and very stressed about that as well. But Jesus said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you with my, to, be, to myself, that you where I am, you may also be. And then he goes on in verse 27 and 28, says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Peace seekers have a future. And that future is Jesus. That future is heaven. That future is living your days on this earth in peace. You have a future. If, you, if you're not a peace seeker, if you're a troublemaker, if you don't seek peace, your future is very, very short and very, very miserable. What do you want in life? What do you want after life? Choices, choices, choices that we have to make. Peace seekers, number three, live obedient to the rules. Those that want to have peace are the, are the people that live good lives. It's one of the laws of the harvest. One reaps what he sows. You sow in discontent, you reap in discontent. You sow peace, you reap peace. It's really coming down to the choices. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, setting our minds on heavenly things doesn't make us earthly ineffective. The more we understand heaven, the more earthly relevant we will be. Because when we understand how we gain things in heaven by becoming earthly relevant, we have to be earthly relevant. We have to work 
on this earth if we're going to gain heaven. So it's not something we should um, be afraid of. It's not something that you can think too much about. Set your mind on earth, on heavenly things. Set your mind on things above. There's peace when you do that. Go on in verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Is there peace in that? If that's the way, you, if that's the way you're living, if that's the way you're choosing to live, is there peace in that? I don't think so. When I, somebody tells me that I'm living that way and the wrath of God is coming, I don't have peace. I have fear. I have turmoil in my life. Because if I'm living that way, I can't expect to have peace in my life. Can you? No. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Rid yourself of anger, of rage, of malice, of slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Doesn't it only make sense that if you want peace, you have to do good things. If you want the wrath of God, then continue to live an immoral, unethical life. Continue to live in a life that's not pleasing to God. If you want peace, let's read on. Chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. This is not a rocket science message. This is something that we all can walk out of and apply this tomorrow. If you want peace in your life, have compassion. Show kindness. Have humility. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with, bear with each other. Forgive one another. This is not one of these messages that you have to read between the lines. This is very simple. Be a good person. Live a holy life. Bear, it, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Don't hold grudges against one another. Don't, don't take on other people's burdens and then be angry. Be peaceful. I think there are so many times we have people that just want to find a problem. They want to be hurt. They like being hurt for whatever odd reason I don't understand. Those, there are people that just don't want to live in peace. Don't be that way. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Pray. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it also in practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Peaceful living is a choice. It is a choice that you choose or not choose. Peaceful living is living with contentment. Number four, peaceful living is living with contentment. Philippians chapter 4, if we continue reading that, verses 11 through 13 says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in every and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Peaceful living is learning how to live in contentment, not having to chase the American dream, not having to chase something that's elusive out there, that if I can only get a little bit more, if I can only do a little bit more, if I can only get that job promotion, if I can only do a little bit more, I'll have peace. Nonsense. That's not what the Bible says. Nothing wrong with working hard. Nothing wrong with having a good promotion. There's nothing wrong with having those things. But if that's your source of peace, you're going to be mistaken. Because it's not going to last. It may come for a season. But if that's your source of your peace, it's not going to be enough. Peaceful living and contentment may sound a little anticlimactic, comparing it to what we live in today, to our world around us. But you have to be aware of the source of the dream you're chasing. If you're chasing a dream that doesn't have a peace, a peace basis on it, then you're chasing the wrong dream. Then change direction. Turn around and find the dream that has peace associated with it. And that is the what will last. That is what has a future. That is what has a hope. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, talks about living a, a life with godly contentment. But godliness and contentment is great gain. Contentment is peace. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, we've read a lot of scripture today, but I really like reading scripture that's straightforward. There was nothing complicated about what we read today. All of it was very, very easy to read, was very plain, was very, uh, very straightforward that we can apply directly in our life. You don't have to translate this. This is something that we can just choose to apply in our life. And there's so much power in that. As we conclude today, and as you honestly look at your life, when you go back and review your life, and review the times that you've had the problems, can you identify the source of the dream you were chasing? Can you identify it? Did the problems come because you were being peaceful? Was, did, the, did the problems come because you were striving to live a godly life? Or did the problems come because you were chasing the wrong dream? That's something for you to consider. 
We talked about peace seekers will find peace in the storms, that they have a future, that they live obedient to the rules that God has established, and they've learned to live with contentment. A person that has a problem with this message is a person that's all about themselves. So many times the problems come into our life not because God is trying to take anything away from me or not to even discipline me necessarily, but the problems come into my life and the issues come into my life so that I can rise above them through the power of God and that I can rise above them with the peace of God that trans all understanding so that Jesus can be glorified. It's not about me. A person that has a problem with this message is a person that's all about me. See, if I'm all about what I want, then there is no good reason for me to have a problem. But when I can recognize that the problems that come into my life are really for other people to see God through me, then I can have a purpose in that problem. And that purpose can then rise up. And then I can have a, a new reason to live. I can have a new reason to get through this problem in a godly fashion because I know that people are watching me, not because of who I am, but because of Jesus living in me. And it gives me an opportunity to be a witness, and it gives me an opportunity to spread the gospel, and it gives me an opportunity to be a, to be a discipler to other people around me that are having similar problems. And then I can go to them and I can say, Jesus will be with you like he's, be with, like he's with me. So where are you at this morning? I hope that today's message will give you encouragement that the issues that are in your life are to help you be a better person and that as you make the right choices and as you do the right things, that you look for the opportunities to share Christ. That you look for the opportunities to, to show others that the reason I've getting, that I've gotten through this, the peace in my life, yes, I want peace. I want peace. But I want it for the right reasons. I want it because I enjoy it. But I also want it because I want to be able to let God work through me as a result of it. And if you can say that in your life, then you can be powerful and you can be effective. And when you're doing that, you're laying up treasures for yourself in heaven because you're not focusing on the problems of this life. You're focusing on the effect and the relevance that you have so that you're laying heavenly treasures because you're being effective around your, the people that you live with. And there's purpose there. There's purpose. Jesus had lots of problems in his life, but Jesus had a purpose that he would always go back to. He would always fall back on the purpose that he had. And when they have a purpose, you can get through lots of stuff. Do you have a purpose? Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the promises that we have. Lord, I thank you that there's power in peace. Lord, those words don't seem to go together. But Lord, when we apply peace in a right fashion, and when we seek after it as the source of our life, we see the future in peace.
We see that the meek people, the ones that will are, that are the forbearing people, the ones that are forgiving people, they're powerful people because they have peace in their life. Those are the people that are obedient to the rules. They're not trying to circumvent it, not trying to find a cheaper way out or a shortcut around it, but are the ones that are willing to give it all because they're being obedient. Father, and those are the ones that know that their source is from you. And Lord, they're contented in that and are willing to live a life of contentment as they chase after the godly things, as they chase after the things that have an eternal merit and eternal rewards. So Lord, I pray that as we go into our homes this week, Lord, that you would just give us a sense of peace. You would give us a sense of purpose, a sense of accomplishment, a sense, Lord, that you would let us see the power of peace in our life. And, Lord, that we would look at it differently tomorrow. We would look at it differently than what we thought it was. It really is power. Peace is a very powerful entity. It's nothing that we should look, um, we should look down upon, but we should pursue it. We should chase after it. And, Father, as we gain it, Lord, help us to give you thanks and help us to be thankful in the peace that you give us in the midst of our storms. And we ask this now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have a song you want to sing? We'll sing a song. We're dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning. If you want to pray, the altars are open. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.